The Front Row on 97.9 ESPN Radio is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. It is Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. Good evening once again. We are broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. KJ, it's been a week. Good to see you again. Haven't lost any weight. Thanks for asking. I was just going to point out, it looks like you've slimmed down, but then I, I bit my tongue decided not to go that route. Bigger shirts. Understand. Understand. Everything good? Everything's real good. All right. Well, well uh, folks, uh, this is uh, a new program. We welcome you to the front row. Uh, last week was Radio History, the uh, inaugural edition. Uh, I guess, in theory, every show subsequently makes history as well, although we can't promise you uh, that uh, we'll be more than mediocre on a regular basis. We did not hear from the FCC, so uh, we are allowed to continue. Uh, always look in the mailbox, see if there's a registered letter, certified letter. Uh, <laughs> I have received them in the past, so I know what they look like. Yes, unfortunately, I, I have as well. All right, uh, a lot to talk about uh, close to the home front as it relates to Florida State this week. And our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, will join us shortly, and he obviously is uh, out at practice on a regular basis and has an awful lot of keen insight that we'll get into. But the big story this week involves Dalvin Cook, who was acquitted on Monday, was back at practice on Tuesday, and he only happens to be one of, if not the best, offensive players on the football team. You know, it's interesting. We, we've talked about and projected that the legal team for Dalvin said there's not enough there. So, therefore, we're going to request an expedited uh, hearing. And that happened. Uh, They moved everything up. Uh, They got everything in. Uh, Depending on which account you read, I wasn't personally there. I don't don't believe you were there either. But somewhere between 8 to 10 hours of elapsed time uh, when uh, witnesses are brought forward, they're questioned, they're cross-examined, et cetera, et cetera. They did take a meal break, I'm told. Uh, but yet the jury only took about 25 minutes to come back with the verdict of not guilty. And and what that says is one of two things. The naysayers will say, well, it was skewed that way, and Tallahassee loves its football players, and therefore, you know, the, 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 the whole thing was a sham, and they just went through the exercise. Intelligent people will say there wasn't enough evidence. He wasn't convicted because he didn't do anything wrong. And remember this. People keep forgetting this. Florida State did not have to suspend Dalvin. This is a misdemeanor. The The code of conduct requirements relative to this says automatic suspension for a charged felony. Coach's decision for a misdemeanor. So Florida State had already gone above and beyond what they needed to do within their own policy in making sure that uh, Cook was segregated from the, the group, uh, went to trial, proceedings, jury trial, uh, come back with 25 minutes, not guilty. <clears throat> Excuse me. This this thing in my mind, Tommy, is gone. It's a non-event now. Yeah, well, and it was because of the result, uh, or in part because of the result, it was sort of covered as not much of, a, of an event nationally, which is not the way that uh, it's been covered here uh, of late. But uh, really, I think most people thought that it would it would probably go this way, although when you listen to Dalvin's uh, attorney, you never know when it gets it gets to a jury. You never know which way it's going to go. But the other point I was going to make, though, is it, some have debated was there enough to even bring charges in the first place. I, I do think if you're the state attorney and you look at it in light of the microscope Tallahassee's been under, he would have been highly second-guessed 
had he not moved forward. And if this had been an isolated event, if you hadn't had previous issues with Florida State athletes, which which I'm not making or apologizing for. I mean, there have been issues. There have been instances. And and we can talk ad nauseum about this where, you know, kids are in the wrong place at the wrong time, which is part of what Stan and, and, and President Thrasher, uh, along with Jimbo, have started doing in terms of trying to educate and we've done it, you know, you, you've got younger children. My children are grown. I've got grandchildren now. And and you talk to your children. I'll talk to my grandchildren about not putting yourself in a position where, you, you, you know, the outcome is either bad or real bad. Put yourself in positions where there's an outcome of bad or good and then choose the good and get out of there. There's no question that, that better decisions could have been made relative to you know, as my dad used to say, there's there's only two type of people that are out at two o'clock in the morning, criminals and victims. You don't need to be out at two o'clock in the morning. I don't care what the times are, and I don't care how old fashioned I am. So educating and reinforcing and reminding these kids that there's just certain things, places, and, and events that you need to stay away from because no good comes from it, uh, I think gets magnified, illustrated, and hopefully Maybe some behaviors changed uh, as we go forward. One point, and I haven't heard, heard it talked about much, and it's it's moot now in, in light of the result, but the uh, decision or the inquiry or, or the push by Dalvin's side to move the trial up, as you referenced, and obviously uh, Florida State's the beneficiary of that, and Dalvin, now that he's acquitted because he's back on the team. I don't know if it was part of the thought process or not, but the reality is by moving that trial up, had the verdict gone the other way, and I'd have to assume Dalvin wouldn't be at FSU now, it would have given him time to land somewhere else and time to play this season. And I, who's to say how that would have played out, but that might have been part of the thinking there to let one way or the other, because it was, it, you know, there was some question at first, is this the best decision? Let's move it up. Let's not. Uh, that, that you know, had it gone the other way, that that's a result that uh, would have worked in his favor that way. You know, you know, Tommy, I've been here since 77, and I've, I've, I've had the opportunity, and I apologize for my voice, I'm losing it, uh, I've had the opportunity. Can we to, get a cough drop? Do we need yeah. a cough drop sponsorship? Maybe a cup of water. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> been here since 77. The, the, the thing that spoke to me about that and the thing when I talk to other people that I have the opportunity to reach out to, it was universal within the Tallahassee community that should know. The, the, the folks that are not in the media and the folks that are not fans, the folks that are, have something to do with the court system either at the county level or the federal level, either on the, on the defense side or the prosecution side. Everyone I talked to who had any perceived inside knowledge of this predicted exactly what would happen. There would be a one-day trial. Some even said a half-day trial and come back with a not guilty verdict. Um, so, you know, those in the know, which I'm going to have to assume included Dalvin's legal team, yeah, it was a calculated risk, but I think it was 99% this is going to be not guilty. 1% if it's guilty, it gives Dalvin time to do something else. It was that much of a of a slam dunk. Enough of the legal analysis. We are not uh, the legal experts here, clearly. But uh, but we have stayed in a Holiday Inn. We have, uh, in Express, in fact. All right, so you turn the page, and the big story is that Dalvin is back. And I, I guess, and we'll get into this with, with Tim in, in our next couple of segments, the initial reports were, you know, he was the guy with the fresh legs. I mean, that's that's cruel and unusual punishment for the defense out there to put a guy like Dalvin back at practice. But, you know, how long does it take him to shake the rust off 
and and become the factor that uh, he has the potential to become offensively. Well, certainly he can do it within a, in a week uh, because remember they'll they'll practice full this week and then get into game prep next week as they get ready for Texas State. The thing that's interesting about it and the people that I've talked to is unlike other situations where you talk about a kid getting back in the football shape, uh, Cook had been working out after practice. He was not allowed to work with, the, with, the, with his teammates during practice. So as soon as they left the practice field, he was out on the practice field going through drills, pushing himself. And, and from one person I talked to, he was doing more to get ready for practice than maybe he would have even done to get ready for camp. If, if I'm if I'm talking about that correctly, he you know, the person I talked to reminded me that uh, you know the, the the late great Walter Payton was notorious for his non-practice workouts, and other members of the Chicago Bears would come and work out with him, and and they would literally fall out with the things that Walter did just to get ready for practice in camp, uh, because he pushed himself so hard. I'm not about to say that Dalvin's in million percent shape and he's in football ready shape and everything's good to go but there was an impression he gave and left with his teammates and the coaching staff that his preparation and getting ready if he got the opportunity to come back to practice was above and beyond anything they had seen and he didn't hesitate once he got back to practice to be he he is one of the few vocal leaders even though he's just a sophomore but he is one of the few vocal leaders that will actually say things. And while he had those fresh legs, he was reminding the rest of the offense to quit dragging it. They had to get ready for a ball game. So back to that two-edged sword, he made the defense look bad, and he's pushing the offense. Don't know that that's bad. That might be good. He's just a sophomore, but when you consider all the turnover offensively and the fact that he was a starter – in essence, for the last half of the season last year, he's one of the most experienced players on the team, maybe the most experienced in the offense in terms of game experience because Everett Golson's experience is not in this offense. Well, plus, Dalvin, you know, you, you look at last year and say his first freshman over 1,000 yards, but most of that yardage came in the last half of the season. That's what I'm saying. And Jeff and, and, and Corey and Ira have talked about that in their, in their comments that, that, you know, he had a 150-yard game, 170-yard game. You know, who knows might, what might have happened in terms of rushing yardage in the in the semifinal game if he hadn't fumbled at the beginning of the third quarter and everything starts unraveling. So in terms of who's the hottest player offensively for Florida State, I know we've had a gap since the end of the season started this, but in terms of the last three, four, five, six games, who has been the most productive offensive player for Florida State? It's number four going to read you this so that you can opine this is from florida state's post practice release on tuesday cook does not have to go through the ncaa's five-day acclimatization period because classes have already started so he was dressed out in full pads dot 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 that was the statement from the NCAA. Well, this is I'm, the NCAA I'm, requirements, right? I, I'm just reading FSU's release. I haven't dug into it, but I can't wrap my mind around what in the world school started has to do with how you uh, but, but, acclimate to the football field. But what I hear you saying is that Florida State complied with NCAA yes, rules. Yes, well, and, and clearly that's an FSU's release because that was a question being asked. And so, yes, they the, checked. The, the National Collegiate Asinine Association, the NCAA, <laughs> their rules say that if you get ready for practice before classes have started the entire team has to go through acclimation period that shorts and then into to, to what we called uppers shoulder pads and helmets and then into full pads but if school has started 
and yet you haven't practiced a single time with your teammates. You can come out the very first practice and go full bore, drop dead of a heat stroke, and you're okay. I don't think they have the last part of that in the fine print, but that seems to be the, the logic checking. behind it. Just checking. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't had time to dig into it. But when I read it, because it was a question being asked and a legitimate one, because, you know, a lot of times you see this at the start of fall camp where somebody's not there on day one, but they start on day three. Well, he's behind the curve. Well, so to speak. Florida State has some kids that did that. Right, they had some right. last minute uh, admissions issues. And I think one of the junior college kids had a, a transcript that had to come in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. It is what it is. We'll we'll look into it when we see the right people. We'll ask them the the logic behind that because I'm not sure what it is. But you, the, the you big, can ask them; they won't answer me. <laughs> the big picture story, obviously, is is Dalvin is back, and that does change certainly what the offense is going to look like this year. And and we'll talk about this with Tim. I happen to think, and and Dalvin obviously is tremendous with the football in his hands. So often with young, talented running backs, you hear a lot about it, and you, maybe you saw it last year with Dalvin because Carlos played the first part of the year more than Dalvin did. They have to know who to block and blitz pick up and all that. And so if you didn't have Dalvin, you have other guys that are going to be capable of carrying the football, but they're not guys that have been out there enough that are really going <laughs> to make you feel overly confident if you're Sean McGuire or Everett Golson because they haven't been in there before. So to me, it's, it's, it's just as key that that part of the equation returns for Dalvin. Without question, uh, and again, echoing with different words, but pass pro is what keeps young running backs from not playing early in Jimbo's system because he just can't afford to get his quarterback killed because a younger back doesn't know who to pick up, how to pick up, or how to release on a heart read. Uh, that's just a given. Uh, and certainly with Dalvin's experience coming back, you've got to be much more comfortable and confident with that. All right, enough from us. We'll get the opinion of Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, uh, momentarily. He's at practice on a regular basis. We'll get his thoughts on uh, what Dalvin Cook's return uh, infuses into that Florida State offense. This is the front row, and we are just warming up. Stay with us. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. And hello once again. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. And we will continue our Florida State discussion with Seminoles.com senior writer Tim Linnefelt. And I'll remind you that Jimbo Fisher's postgame press conference streams live following every home game. You can watch it live on your phone or tablet via the Seminoles.com mobile app. It also streams live on your desktop via Seminoles.com. Best of all, no subscription required, totally free, and Seminoles.com is the only place to watch Jimbo's postgame pressers following every home game. With that said, hello again to Tim Linnefeld from Seminoles.com. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How about yourself? Doing well. I'm told that you can at least shed a little more light on a topic than what Keith and I just did in our prior segment, and that is the fact that Dalvin Cook, because school is in session, didn't have to go through a five-day climatization period. He could just get right back out there and put on the full pads yesterday, which from a logic standpoint, Keith and I couldn't wrap our heads around. So is there uh, something you can add to the, the rationale for why that would be different once school started? Well, it definitely looked a little odd and, and had, had folks kind of scratch their heads at first. Um, I, I'm, I'm speaking a little bit more clarity on it, but from, from what I understand is that it has to do with, uh, with, with walk-ons usually. Uh, you know, walk-ons usually join 
uh, at the start of school. And, and so when you have, you know, however many walk-ons uh, on the field, it, it doesn't make any sense for them to have, uh, they're not going to have, from a, even from an efficiency standpoint, uh, you know, everybody in full pads practicing and then, you know, 20, 30, however many walk-ons uh, out there in, in, in shells and shorts going through, uh, going through that process. So, uh, so from that standpoint, I guess they, they make an exception to allow them to, uh, to jump right in and, and, and be a part of practice. And, and Dalvin Cook, in kind of a, a, a weird uh, roundabout way, has been able to be included in that. Certainly. Sem- semi-sense. semi-sense. Yeah. yeah, semi. All right. Well, that cleared up. Thank you for that. Now we can, uh, we can move forward. Let's, you know, Dalvin Cook's obviously the topic of this week, and uh, we'll get into the quarterback uh, battle and discussion a little bit uh, later on. But just a very open-ended question from your perspective. What does Dalvin Cook's return mean to this team? Well, an awful lot. Um, you know, it's, it's not, not overselling him, I think, to say that he could be one of the best running backs in the country. I think by the end of last year, uh, he certainly was one of the best running backs in the country. And, um, and, and so, you know, for, for an offense that is transitioning from Jameis Winston, it's transitioning from four senior starters on the offensive line, transitioning from Nick O'Leary, transitioning from Rashad Green, to have a, a steady, reliable guy back there that you know uh, one can score uh, from just about anywhere on the field, and two can be a guy that can, you know, can get you some yardage, can, can, can settle things down when maybe things aren't going well, especially early in the season. Uh, I think it's extremely valuable. Tim, talk a little bit about, and I've talked to a couple of folks, they were amazed at the shape that Dalvin was in. We talk about, you know, you can train and then you get back into the pads. And obviously, you know, he's practiced Tuesday and Wednesday, but but he doesn't appear to be anything but in the best of shape. What are people saying about that? And what did he do differently? You know, it really is kind of remarkable. The, the first time that I noticed um, what, the kind of shape that he was in was about a week or so ago. Uh, practice had ended and everybody was heading back into the locker room, uh, and Dalvin Cook was uh, was headed back out to uh, by him just by himself. Uh, he was walking out there, and, and at the risk of, of sounding weird or whatever, he uh, he didn't have his jersey on. He hadn't put his jersey on yet, and he just looked. I mean, just like I mean, it looked like he'd been in the weight room, you know, all day every day for the last two or three months. And uh, and, and he saw him going out there, and he he said back out to do his workouts. And that's when I think he realized for the first time that you know he hasn't been sitting on the couch. Uh, for the last two months, he's been been getting after it and and uh, and, and working on his own and, and, and committing himself to uh, to the weight room and and it was really apparent and then it was obvious yesterday too uh, on Tuesday when uh, when he made his way out on the practice field uh, you know he might have even looked a little bit bigger a little bit stronger than the last time we saw him uh, so I yeah, I was really impressed with that it was obvious that that Jimbo Fisher was really impressed with that both. Uh, from a physical standpoint, he's glad to have his best player or his best offensive player in as good a shape as he is. But also, just you know, um, the commitment that, that Dalvin Cook showed, the uh, I guess the the character you would say to uh, to just take it upon himself. that even though he couldn't be uh, around his teammates, around his coaches, he still you know committed himself to to doing what he needed to do to be ready to play, and that was pretty impressive, especially for a you know a sophomore in college. He wasn't bashful about being a little vocal. I'm told by uh, folks that were uh, there after the media left. He was uh, uh, encouraging some of his fellow offensive players. They were getting a little agitated with him, reminding him, "Look, you ain't been out here the last two weeks like we have." <laughs> no, exactly right. It was, it was funny. Uh, Demarcus Walker came in and chatted with the media uh, last night. They said that uh, he said, "Man, that guy's got some wheels out there." We had, we had to tell him to slow down. Said, you're, you're fresh. We're not fresh. We've been out here for three weeks, and you're just now getting out there. But uh, you know, as, as much as that may be, yeah, you can bet that they're uh, they're certainly glad to see him out there. 
uh, both just to you know have have a teammate uh, re- re- rejoin you uh, after everything that, that he had to go through there, uh, and then also from just a football standpoint, you know he, he means an awful lot to that team, uh, certainly for the offense, but you know, for the team in general. Tom Block, Keith Jones. We're talking with Seminoles.com senior writer Tim Linnefelt, our insider. Tim, with Dalvin back, how do you see the distribution, the workload distributed, starting with, with week one? I mean, Jimbo has talked a lot about – I don't want to – I'll use the phrase down the line, which is not an appropriate phrase to use really. But he's he, he's talked about guys beyond Mario Pender really when he talks about Vickers and there's Jacques Patrick. I mean, how do you see the distribution going forward? Well, starting with week one, it, it's always kind of weird to say because uh, typically with, with those types of early season games, you know, you might not get your starters the the whole time. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if I, mean, I do expect Alvin to play. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't get more than ten or fifteen touches before giving way to some of the younger guys. But you know, I do think it could be a situation where you see. I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised to see Dalvin get you know as much as seventy to eighty percent of the carries, even with those other guys, uh, just because. I think he's that good, and he can handle it. I think he showed by the end of last season that he could handle 25, maybe even 30 carries a game on a regular basis. Um, that said, I, I also you know we know that, that Jimbo Fisher really likes to to have a deep running back rotation. We've seen it in the past, uh, and so from that perspective, having a guy like Mario Pender who is also a home run threat, having Jonathan Vickers who I think has looked really really impressive the times that I've seen him uh, in practice, just as far as the, you know sticking his head in there, running between the tackles, really looks like a, a really tough runner. You know, having all those guys available, uh, you know, really helps. And I think there's different things you can do with them as far as catching the ball out of the backfield uh, and, and running, you know, running different uh, different plays for each of those guys. But uh, as as much as Jimbo has in, enjoyed, you know, using those deep running back rotations, I don't know that he's ever had, uh, certainly not at Florida State, a running back, you know, quite as talented and, and dangerous as uh, as Dalvin Cook. So you know, I think as long as he's the guy, it wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me at all to see him kind of get a, a feature back role. That's interesting because that is a departure from Jimbo's philosophy. And having the ability to carry it 25 or 30 times doesn't mean that you want to trot him out there and have him do that every week. I, you know, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. It feels like Jimbo's sweet spot has been more in a, maybe as many as 25, but more like 18 to 22 touches, not just carries for mm-hmm. whoever his lead guy is. I, I don't know if you have the numbers on that, but uh, that's interesting. And, and then a second part, you're, you're saying that it's not a smokescreen from Jimbo – the praise that he's given to Vickers this preseason. No, no, and and yeah, and he definitely seemed like one of the, kind of one of those guys that you know when when he when he speaks about him a lot, you, you sort of start to wonder. But then you know being able to see him, and, and he's a guy actually that um, that I covered uh, when he was in high school at North Florida Christian. Just a, a really impressive guy, a really impressive player, and you know he's 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 totally the kind of guy I think that that the coaching staff here would would sort of fall in love with. You know, a tough player, a tough runner, uh, is not going to be afraid to uh, to block. To, uh, to contribute in the passing game in that way, and, and like I said, man, he just you know, he, he sort of sticks his head down and, and, and runs between those tackles, and, and sometimes they tackle him, and sometimes they don't. And he can reel off you know eight, ten, twelve yard runs. So uh, I think he can be a part of things for sure. Uh, Mario Pender, uh, to bring him up again is uh, you know the only problem he's had really is just staying healthy. You know, it's easy to forget, but he had a really really impressive start to last season before that ankle injury slowed him down. Uh, and by the time he was ready to come back, uh, Dalvin Cook had kind of seized control of the backfield, but uh, but he can certainly play a factor as well. Tim, uh, you'll be with us next segment, so we've got a couple of minutes left in this one. Uh, real briefly, again, uh, Tommy's favorite uh, way of asking questions, open-ended. Uh, what's new with the offensive line? Because uh, you don't clear some people out, create some space. It doesn't matter what the running backs do. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, the, the big thing I think that they're having to figure out right now is, is the center position. 
uh, Jimbo Fisher, uh, after the second scrimmage on Saturday, was really, really unhappy with the way they snapped the ball. Said that it, it really um, it hurt both offenses. It hurt both quarterbacks, uh, Sean McGuire and Everett Golston. Uh, you know, if, if you can't snap the ball, can't get an exchange there, uh, you're you're pretty much crumbling at, at your foundation. So, uh, so that's going to be the the big thing for them is figuring out who that's going to be. Whether it be Corey Martinez, Ryan Hofeld, Alec Everly, somebody needs to separate themselves there. Uh, the left side of the line, I think, is, is pretty much come together. Obviously, Roderick Johnson, left tackle, uh, his job was never really in question. And it looks like Kareem R., the, uh, the JUCO transfer, uh, is set to take over at the, uh, the left guard spot. So the center, the center spot and the, uh, and, and the two, uh, right sides, uh, excuse me, the two right side positions are still kind of coming together. Uh, they started out with Chad Mavetti at right tackle. And, and lately we've seen Derek Kelly, who's from, uh, from East Gadsden High School nearby in, uh, in Havana. He's kind of emerged there lately. Uh, and is a guy that they seem to like. But then, you know, asked about him the other day, Jimbo Fisher, uh, sort of saying that, you know, he's, he's sort of, uh, sliding a little bit, having sort of the, uh, the, the middle of camp blues a little bit, you might say, and then they need him to step it up too. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's still a work in progress there. And I think it, it, it might be for a while. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they, uh, if they use, uh, a, a pretty quick rotation, uh, early in the season to kind of figure out who fits best, uh, not only individually, but collectively, you know, as the unit. Yeah, see how they perform when the lights come on, so to speak. All right, we have uh, much more to discuss, including that quarterback battle. We'll do that with uh, Tim Linnefelt in just a couple of moments. This is The Front Row. Tom Block with Keith Jones. It's presented by Hobson, Chevrolet, Buick, and Cairo. Get your best deal the Hobson way. The Front Row on 97.9 ESPN Radio is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. And hello once again, Tom and Keith, back with Seminoles.com senior writer Tim Linnefelt. Keith, I'm going to demonstrate, though, for you since you talked about my... uh I want to ask open-ended questions, how it works in radio when you ask closed-ended questions. All right. Let's see how this happens. Tim, will Everett Golson be the starter? Could be. <laughs> Is Travis Rudolph the best receiver on the team? Yes. Is Roderick Johnson the best offensive lineman? Yes. Is Robert, Roberto Aguayo the best kicker in the country? Yes. Is Jimbo a good coach? Absolutely. All right, so I've demonstrated a little bit, Keith, why I'd, I'd, I'd like to op- ask more uh, you know, open-ended questions there so we can elaborate uh, and let Tim articulate on some of those topics. But when everything's said, Tim, who asks better questions, Tom Block or Keith Jones? Well, that, that depends, I guess. Uh, you know, if, if you, uh, you want to give the short answer, I think Keith asks great questions, but if you like to hear yourself talk a little bit more, then I'd probably give the nod to, uh, to Tom. Wow, that was a backhanded compliment if ever there was one. <laughs> So the quarterback situation, when are we going to get a decision? You know, I honestly think it could happen fairly soon, uh, and that's based on just looking at Jimbo Fisher's track record. We have seen him go through this a few times. Uh, I actually went back and, and looked at when he announced uh, his quarterback, dating back to his first quarterback race, which you'll remember was his first year uh, as offensive coordinator in 2007. Uh, that year he named Drew Weatherford the starter on August 23rd. Uh, several years later, he named Jameis Winston the starter on August 20th, 23rd, 2013. Uh, and then the one kind of weird one was uh, in 2008, uh, he named Christian, Parton, Christian Ponder the starter uh, on, I think it was September the 3rd 
it was a Wednesday and the season started on Saturday. Uh, that seemed, uh, you know, looking back on it, I was like, oh man, did I, did I have that right? Did that really happen? Um, but it did. And, but that was kind of a weird year. If you remember, there was a, a lot of uh, split time between Christian Potter and, uh, and Devon Trey Richardson. So, uh, with the, uh, the caveat that the, uh, the season starts, uh, a week later than, than usual this year. It doesn't start till, uh, you know, the first weekend in September. Um, we're getting kind of right around there. Um, just, just my, from sort of reading the tea leaves, I think it could make sense to see, uh, some news on that by the end of this week. If not, then early next week. Cause I think you want to get, you know, you have a game next week. And so you're beginning your game week preparations and whoever's going to be under center when that game starts, you want to give him that full game week of practice to, uh, to get acclimated with, uh, with the first team offense and get ready to go. So, I mean, it only makes sense. Personally, I think athletics marketing should just delay the decision until the starting lineups are announced on the video board right before kickoff in week one. Get everybody, get everybody in the stands and say, here you go. It's the moment you've been waiting for. Is it going to be Golson? Uh, I think so. Um, and, I, and here's why. I think um, that it, it makes sense just in terms of, of what Florida State has to do this year. You know what I'm saying? Uh, between a new offensive line, new wide receivers, new tight end, uh, the guy who's maybe a little bit more dynamic of an athlete can uh, make some things happen when plays are breaking down. So let's, you know, let's be honest. There's going to be some times this year uh, when the plays are breaking down or a receiver is going to run uh, a wrong route. The offensive line is going to miss an assignment. It's just it's going to happen uh, with so many new parts uh, this year. Uh, having a guy who can, can maybe make things happen on the fly and has also been in some of those big-time situations uh, more so than, than the other quarterbacks on the roster, I think it just makes sense. Now, if, say, this were last year and you had all those senior starters on the offensive line, you had Rashad Green, you had Nick O'Leary, uh, maybe it would make more sense to go with the guy who's been in the system longer, understands the playbook uh, a little bit more. But given the, the rest of this roster, I think Everett Golson makes the most sense. Oh, Timmy, Timmy, Timmy. I am so disappointed. Here Uh-oh. it comes. One of us will be right, or at least – you and I are on opposite sides. I really, really think Jimbo is absolutely struggling with this, and I really, really think when push comes to shove, he's going to go with McGuire at least to start the first ball game. I think that the offensive line is so unsettled, although the receivers have improved, and we'll talk about that in a minute, over the last uh, three or four practices. It wasn't uh, too long ago when uh, Fisher was calling them out for lack of effort and inconsistency in route and, and ball catching. I just think that prudence would be you go with the guy that knows your offense, particularly when you're not playing a national game, you're playing a regular season opening game against an opponent that you're going to be heavily favored, and you let him lose the job, so to speak, or you let Golson come in second quarter, midway through the third quarter, get some snaps under him. I mean, compare and contrast that, because I think you and I are maybe a little bit on opposite side of the fence there. I'm not sure I'm absolutely right, uh, but I'm old school. You're a little bit more new school. How do you look at that in light of that opinion? Uh, I think it's it's absolutely um, uh, a reasonable opinion. And, and, I, and look, I don't mean to represent that, uh, that this is a slam dunk at all. Um, you know, from what I've been able to see from those guys, uh, which has been, you know, probably a little more than, than I would have expected to, uh, I don't think that Jimbo is just, just paying lip service when he says that this is close. I think it really is close. I think, uh, both have had, um, some really nice ups and also had some, some downs. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I could see that. And, and again, it wouldn't shock me, uh, for it to go that way, uh, either. Um, you know, especially, you know, if, if you want, want to look at it from a perspective of a guy who, you know, has been here, has done everything the right way, um, and it's not like he isn't proven. It's not like we don't know, you know, what he can do um, and, and has, has played in uh, in big situations before, obviously, at that Clemson game with, uh, with Sean McGuire. Uh, 
yeah, there's a, there's definitely a case to be made for him, and I, I don't think that I would drop dead in shock uh, if he was named the starter. Uh, but you know, if you um, you ask me today, what do I think is going to happen? That's just kind of where I'm leaning. Understood, understood. Uh, as in the moments we've got remaining, let's slip over to the other side. Uh, there are plenty that says uh, Florida State's defense has nowhere to go but up because they did not play well last year. Most of the reports out of camp and here uh, once school has started and practices this week is is market improvement. What are you seeing? What are they saying? How do you feel? Uh, it's been, uh, from, from what I can tell, also uh, a little bit up and down, maybe more up than down, if that makes any sense. Uh, there's been a lot of praise uh, thrown to Marcus Walker's way. He's one of those guys. That you always want to check for the guys whose name comes up when you don't ask about them, uh, if that makes any sense. And he's been one of those guys this year. Uh, for, uh, for me that I've noticed people talking about him a lot. Jimbo Fisher talks about him a lot. Jalen Ramsey uh, has talked about him a lot. Pretty much everybody uh, has, has been really impressed with him. And, and that's that's good news because, uh, as we talked about last week, of course he has got to figure out a way to get some more pressure on the quarterback, and, and he would be a pretty big piece of that uh, if he's able to do it. Uh, I think you know what you have in, in Jalen Ramsey on the one-corner spot. I still think that they're working out some things on the other side. Uh, between um, Marquez White, Ryan Green, whoever's going to get that job over there, um, and then also um, you know the uh, at the linebacker spot, I think everybody was so kind of worried and up in arms that they essentially had two guys with experience and and then a whole lot of question marks. And I do think there are some question marks there, but the one having uh, Reggie Northrup and Terrence Smith, uh, both of them being healthy uh, and experienced, is uh, is a really big deal. And then I think they're also you know pretty pleased with uh, with Lorenzo Phillips. Uh, the JUCO transfer able to get him out there and 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 have him just just to be a warm body that can that can come in and uh, and sell those guys a little bit, but also having played two years at the uh, the JUCO level, uh, you know, can maybe play a little bit as well, uh, especially early in the season and and be able to to contribute. Uh, it, it's a really big deal. So uh, everything we've heard over uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, including out of uh, the second scrimmage last week, is that the defense is ahead of the offense, and as you know, that's a uh, that's not exactly uncommon. In fact, it's pretty common. And when you have to worry is when your offense is really far ahead of your defense. And, and that, that fortunately seems to not be the case. Tim, final thought as we wrap up. What's been the biggest surprise of this camp to you? Hmm, let me think on that for a second, if you don't mind. Biggest surprise. Man, I, you know. We can get some it, Jeopardy theme music going dum, here. Dum, <laughs> dum, 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 dum. I, I don't know there's been a ton of surprises. Uh, if anything, man, I would be surprised uh, – Maybe that the quarterback race uh, has been as close as it has. I really do believe it's been close, and I wasn't always sure on that, man. Uh, you know, quite frankly, when when you bring in Everett Golson in uh, over the summer, and, and and I understand why everybody's you know saying that it has to be a true competition and, and it's going to be a race between those guys. But just looking at it on paper, it, you know, if you bring in a guy with with that much experience uh, for a fifth year, it's not like you're going to develop him and turn him into a better player next year. He's here for one season. Uh, it didn't seem to me to like it would make a whole lot of sense to bring a guy in like that and then you know not have him start. And, and while I still believe that, that he's going to be the guy, um, it, I think it has absolutely been a, cl- a close race. And, and for that matter, I don't think that that whoever wins that starting job, whether it be Everett or Sean, uh, is not going to be in, in, you know infallible. And, and I don't think Jimbo Fisher is going to sit out there. Or I don't think Jimbo Fisher would hesitate to go to the other. Uh, if the uh, the first starter were to, uh, to struggle or put the team in bad positions, and I think that speaks. Um, you know, really well on Sean McGuire. Um, again, I, I, it, it's hard to say this sort of thing uh, without sounding patronizing, but, man, I think it's, it's really impressive, um, his attitude and, uh, and the way that he approaches these types of things. Um, you know, a lot of guys, I think, if you, you know, brought in a, a guy like an Everett Golson, you know, you could kind of take it as a shot across the bow, but he just, you know, took it as like, well, you know, I'm going to go out and compete with that guy. And the fact that he's been able to 
stay neck and neck in it and, uh, and still be a factor, I think, uh, really speaks to him. Well said. Good stuff as always. He is Seminoles.com senior writer Tim Linnefeld, Seminoles.com, where you can hear Jimbo's post-game press conference. Well, not just here. You can see it. It streams live following every home game, so you can watch it on your phone or tablet via the Seminoles.com mobile app or on your desktop if you're old school like Keith via uh, Seminoles.com. Best of all, no subscription. It is totally free. Seminoles.com, the only place to watch Jimbo's presser after every home game. Tim, we'll do this again next week. Thank you. All right, you guys. Thank you. All right, Tim Linnefeld. Keith and I will uh, be back to uh, dig a little deeper and dissect some of his comments when we continue from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios with the front row in a moment. We don't need no thought control. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Big night for Tom and Keith. It's a birthday party tonight, KJ. Yeehaw! Madison Social turning two, and a lot of you folks will probably head that way. And uh, be a good time. Remind you that uh, Madison Social has trivia night every Tuesday. Normally, Wednesdays is uh, Wednesday night which doesn't apply to, to me and KJ at this point in our, uh, what's the, um, lives. I was looking for like tenuous careers, you know, li- no lives, lives. lives. Okay. Anyway, birthday party tonight at uh, Madison Social as it turns to, obviously it's a uh, part of college town, which really has uh, helped uh, lead that whole revitalization of that uh, part of campus, the Gain Street corridor, the Madison Street Mile, all that. You guys know Madison Social. Hopefully we'll see you out there tonight. Let's get back to the quarterback topic because, you know, the great thing about quarterbacks, Keith, there's there's 21 other guys out there that start, and we're going to dissect this quarterback battle to death, and then when a decision is made, we're going to dissect the fact that whoever started only went 18 for 27 and two balls were in harm's way or what have you. I do think, though, that the fact that hypothetically in your scenario, if it is uh, the incumbent, if you were the expected, and and not Golson. If it is McGuire, because Golson is here, uh, all of a sudden it feels to me like McGuire's product and numbers need to be even better than they than would have been the case if it was just freshmen behind him. In other words, McGuire starts and he goes eighteen for thirty one for two hundred and forty two yards with two touchdowns and one pick, and Florida State wins forty two to seventeen. Well, that's not what Florida State won by when Jameis started kind of thing. You know what I mean? And, and all of a sudden, you have Everett on. Everybody, the fan's favorite is always the backup quarterback, especially when it's a fifth-year senior that transferred in from a name program. And, and there's nothing you can do about that. And, and, and two points to that. Number one, we heard Clint Trickett talk about it when he was in his conversations with Sean McGuire after it was announced that Golson was coming. Okay, fine. Another competition. I mean, that's the thing I like best about Sean. We don't know that much about Everett. Uh, he's not been allowed to talk to the media a whole lot. We obviously have not seen him compete on a, a live stage in Garnet and Gold. We've seen what he looks like in Doak Campbell when he's playing for Notre Dame. But that's why I lean back to, to McGuire in terms of I want some stability given all the other things that are going on, particularly on the offensive line. Four or five new starters, whatever the case may be, on the offensive line. 
uh, O'Leary's gone, Rashad's gone. You know, uh, I want someone in there that's a stable, uh, you know, knows what he's doing, is not afraid to make the check downs and, and, and be vanilla and not turn the ball over and doesn't try to do too much, doesn't get too amped, too excited. And we've seen what McGuire can do uh, going back to the Clemson game last year. Now, having said that, what I would counter what you were trying to set out is the other way I would look at it, and this is, this is just totally uh, my opinion and the way I think it's going to be, is that McGuire's l- leash is real short particularly if he goes in and first two drives nothing happens and the third drive ends in an interception you don't be surprised to see Jimbo go to and vice versa if Everett gets the start and and struggles out of the block don't be uh, surprised to see Jimbo go to the to the number two quicker than would have normally been the case that's just the nature of a first year quarterbacks at the number one and the number two position uh, but I think when everything is said and done uh, and, and I told a group I spoke to over in Madison last night that that when everything is said and done you, you've got great and you've got serviceable as it relates to quarterbacks McGuire is between those two and that might be his upper uh, ream Golson might be great but right now, let's start with the guy that's the known factor, and let's ever work his way into it. That's just my philosophy. We'll see how Jimbo plays it out. If you paint it in that context, the one quarterback battle here I can think of where you might have guys at, at similar levels. Drew Weatherford, I don't know that would have been at the same. He doesn't have as strong as arm, an arm as what McGuire has. But he was the safe pick in 2008 and Christian Ponder was the unknown who had a better ceiling and Jimbo went with the it's not that Everett Golson's an unknown he's an unknown in this offense but rather than go with the guy who had been the three-year starter in, in Weatherford at that point and Weatherford had battled in his junior year I guess too with with Xavier Lee he went with Ponder instead but the difference there is Ponder had been in the system and knew the offense Christian didn't have to learn this offense over a summer and again, we, we know how difficult Jimbo's offense is to pick up and get the nuances and be competent in it. And, and that's no disrespect to Everett, but he just hasn't been here a long enough period of time. So uh, that's a good analogy, good thing to compare to. But I would point out that might be the one differential let me that ask makes you, it a little different. Let me different. ask it to you this way. On October 10th, when Miami's here, who's going to be the starting quarterback? I think Golson has a very good possibility of being the quarterback when Miami comes to town. And that, that see, I think that's the mindset exactly. that most folks now, have. Now, the, the, the thing that, 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 that I'm basing that on is we've not seen greatness out of McGuire. That doesn't mean that he can't play a game or two and and go from between serviceable to great and go to greatness where you can't take him out. I don't, to be fair to McGuire, I don't know that we've really – he hasn't been given a fair shot either. If you look at the opportunity to start against Clemson last year on two-and-a-half days' notice – who had the best defense well, in the that, country. And, and he, you know, he had 12 hours notice that he was going to play the whole game. Right. So, And they won the game, and he threw for over 300 yards. He also threw a couple of picks. Then you have the spring game, and all these pieces that are new that we're talking about, no Rashad Green, no four offensive linemen, no Nick O'Leary, uh, Dalvin Cook's been out. You know, All those things, except for Cook being out, I guess, applied in the spring game, too, when, when he, he obviously didn't look sharp. So we're basic. Except, except well, remember, you started Cook in a blue jersey. And everybody in the stands right. are going, what in the world is going on? Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, and it, it, it so made he, things he, even tough. So I guess the, the point I'm saying is McGuire's, to me, is being judged on 
the spring game, and, and maybe there's more there. And, and, the, and the spring game was one bad practice because if you go back to the other 14 workouts, two or three, which were the climatization or acclimation, whatever the NCAA made them do back in the spring, every other workout he was getting high marks. He just had a bad practice on the Garnet and Gold game. So I'm going to go with the case study of the Clemson game, and I'm going to discount the Garnet and Gold game, and I'm going to let him start the first game and see what happens from there. And it could be. No one would have a problem in the world if McGuire goes 25 of 26 for 300 and something yards and four touchdowns a la Winston Pittsburgh a couple of years ago. All right, I'll ask you the same question I asked Tim as we've just got a, a few more minutes in this segment to kick this around. What's been the biggest surprise to you of what's unfolded this preseason? The the biggest surprise to me has been um, this team appears to, to have the work ethic of the 2013 team. The 2014 team last year, uh, they, they worked hard, but I don't think they finished hard. I think when everything is said and done, and, and I know they won a lot of ball games in the fourth quarter, but they won a lot of ball games in the fourth quarter because they were more talented than the opponent. They didn't come out like the 13 group and start fast, get ahead, and then and keep it going. This 14 group appears to have the 13 mindset, if, if that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense. And, and that's what I've been impressed with. Just the things that the kids say, the comments that they make after practice, what little bit we've been able to be out there and watch them participate, uh, the way Jimbo has responded and talked about their work ethic and the and, and just the cohesiveness of this group, the camaraderie, uh, the fact that they get along well. Um, I mean, I really think that the mental part of the 15 team, even though they haven't played a down yet, is going to be judged as being better than the 14 team and much more akin to the 13 team. Not predicting they're going to win a national championship. Don't know that that could happen. But I really like the way this team is getting ready as a group. I think it's human nature to get fat and happy, even if you won't admit to it when everybody is singing your praises. Not that Florida State wasn't picked on a lot along the way and had to apologize week in, week out for wins. But you start reading your press clippings a little bit. It's the opposite motivation when people disrespect you or discount you. I don't know that FSU has been disrespected this year. They've sort of been discounted from a national perspective. And there's just a natural tendency, and I was looking at this just to kind of reinforce if if my memory was correct. You had four kids on defense last year that were drafted as juniors. So you say to yourself, why wasn't that defense better? Well, the reason is, and you can be mad about this, you can be upset, but welcome to the athlete of of, 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 of this century. Those are four juniors that in the back of their minds aren't wanting to get hurt, all right? Now, let's go to this year. you got kids that either have not had playing time and have already been hurt in LS. Mm -hmm. Nobody talks about Niles. I I think he might be poised. I'm I'm not saying he's Timmy Jernigan or, or Mario Edwards Jr., but he might be poised to be something to be reckoned with. you got a couple of other fifth-year senior types that haven't seen a lot of playing time. Um, you've got, you've got uh, in Northrop a guy that, that, you know, Jimbo used to talk about in early in his career as just being another guy, didn't flash anything, and all he's done is work his butt off to become one of the best tacklers, one or two on this team and one of these team leaders. So you've got some kids that that maybe aren't going to shine at the next level, but will have a bigger glow about them at this level. And that's what excites me about this 2015 team. 
it's always fun to watch it unfold, especially when the summer just ticks on. August has been the longest month on record. And finally, we're ticking a little closer to uh, to opening day, if you will. We're ticking a little closer to the uh, end of week two of the front row, and we'll get to our final segment with some final thoughts from Keith and I right after this. Stay with us. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to the Prime Meridian Bank Studios here in the All Saints District of Tallahassee. Tom and Keith. The news just in. News just in on Prime Meridian Bank. American Banker, uh, which is a magazine, the, the Trade Association magazine, just announced. Prime Meridian Bank, 12th best bank to work at in the country. Not not in Tallahassee, not in Florida, but in the country. 12th best bank to work at in the country. Hats off to our friends at Prime Meridian. By the way, they'll be opening a new branch in Crawfordville at the uh, midpoint, maybe the end of uh, September. So they continue to grow, continue to uh, get larger and better. Uh, so thanks to our friends at Prime Reading Bank. In, indeed, thanks. That is that is good news. I was going to poke some fun at you because I'm going to make it my personal mission, Keith, to get you on Twitter as this show continues to evolve. Because when you said breaking news, I was looking for somebody to run a telegram into you. I wasn't sure where you got that breaking news from. Our, our telegram, that's that's how I'm going to get my breaking news? Is that what you're insinuating? That is what I'm, no, that's what I said. I wasn't <laughs> insinuating. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> so I, I and we may ask... Uh, FSU Twitter to get involved in this effort to to bring you out of quite frankly the I, I, the dark it, ages and onto Twitter as it exists right now, my good friend. I don't Twitter, I don't tweet, I don't talk to all putty hat. <laughs> all right, and there you have it. Well, then I'll tell you what's going to happen, Keith. And go back to where we started, and we didn't get into this from a standpoint, but there was uh, a lot of discussion about a faux or fake Dalvin Cook Twitter account that wasn't entered into evidence in this trial. Somebody, I'm not going to name names, it might be somebody in the building or in the studio right now, might have to set up a fake Keith Jones Twitter account. Well, so you're not the first one. <laughs> I'm, I'm you're just, not the first one that's thought of that because my youngest daughter... Oh, I clearly wouldn't take credit for that. My youngest daughter says that she's going to start either a, fa- a Facebook page or maybe even a Twitter, and it's going to be Bill K. Jones because my, my full name is William Keith. I go by Keith, I go by KJ, but she's going to set one up that's Bill K. Jones. So that's how I'll know if she does it. I don't know how I'm going to recognize if you do it. Oh, well, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. That, this this might become a project. This, this indeed might I'm become in a trouble. All right. Uh, we're, we're just about at a time. And, and in coming weeks, next week, first of all, will be a game week. So there'll actually be something to talk about there. Uh, but we've got some uh, – I won't, I won't spill the beans on all of that. We're, we've got some interesting guests coming up in coming weeks as uh, this show continues to evolve. Uh, feel free to, to drop us an email or when you see us uh, around town, let us know your thoughts on what you'd like to hear from this show. But uh, two up, uh, two down at this point. And, uh, and uh, so far, we're, we're still standing or and sitting, we haven't, sitting we haven't, I guess. We haven't gotten a fight yet. That's, uh, that's kind of unusual. That's the after hours version. We've got we to work on uh, developing the show to get to that level. Okay. All right. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Tom Lang on the other side of the glass. Appreciate it. This is the front row each and every Wednesday from 6 to 7 right here. We'll talk to you again next week. Yeah.